Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. We're continuing on this morning in a series on Philippians. Summertime is when uh, people grab the book and they head to the beach or the pool. And so I thought, let's do a summer book series and we're going to look at the book of Philippians. Uh, This is a book that's full of encouragement and it's full of some iconic passages I mean, we talked about the the ones that get shared on the Facebook meme or the ones that you tattoo on your bicep, right? The, 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 The passages that we love to quote. And this morning, we're gonna look at one of those passages that I think is just amazing. And so uh, what Paul's doing in, in Philippians and the portion that we're gonna read this morning is that Paul's modeling something. And I think that's important to understand. I think discipleship kind of got hijacked by curriculum, and Paul is, is reminding us about modeling, that to, to make a disciple of these people, he's, he's modeling something for them. And so we're going to look at that this morning in Philippians 1, starting in verse 21, and we're going to go to the end of chapter 1 this morning. I'm going to read it for us, starting in verse 21. He says this, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your Sake. And if I were writing the, the Chris translation of the Bible, I would just put in parentheses, sigh. Because I feel like that's what just, what just happened there. It's more necessary for your sake, right? <sighs> Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Verse 27, just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you, that you're standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, and this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you were engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. This is the word of the Lord. So Paul starts this portion with this iconic passage, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Right? That's that's an amazing statement if you really think about that statement. And I think that statement begs a question for us. If I gave you uh, this phrase, for me to live is blank and to die is blank, how would you fill in the statement? 
In fact, I think we have it here on the screen. For me to live is blank and to die is blank. Honestly, what would you put in there? I think the, the thing that you put in that first blank will determine what goes in the second blank, right? Paul is saying something here about this win-win scenario. For me to live is Christ. It's fruitful labor for him. It's a win. And to die is gain. It's a win. Now, in, in our culture, it's common for us if someone's having a health problem, right? Your, your grandmother falls and breaks her hip, and you, you say to her, I'm so sorry that you're dealing with this. And she says, what? It sure beats the alternative. Y'all heard that before, right? It sure beats the alternative, right? Well, you know, I can't move as good as I used to, but it sure beats the alternative, meaning at least I didn't die, right? Like here's the silver lining, I didn't die. But, but look at what Paul's saying. He's saying, no, 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 I long, I, I long to depart and be with Christ. So, Here's my suggestion to you, is that if you put anything less than Jesus in that first blank, you're living with a win-lose mentality. Or maybe, possibly, you're living with a lose-lose mentality. Meaning this, if, if I were to fill that with anything it could be something really, really good. Like, for me to live is to be with my family. Like, that's awesome. I love being with my family. I, I want you to love being with your family. For me to live is to be with my family and to die oh, is to be separated from them. Right? For, for me to live is to, uh, to make a decent living and to not feel like I'm scraping by all the time. And yet to die is to, is to lose it all. Right? So, so whatever we put in that first blank determines the second blank. What would you fill in the blank with? I think about it this way with... Um, I was thinking about my own life, how in high school, um, I thought, man, as soon as I start driving, everything's going to be awesome, right? And then you start driving, you're like, oh, that's cool. But then you're like, oh, man, I got to graduate high school. As soon as I graduate high school, everything's going to be great. And then you're like, I got to find a college. I got to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. I got to pick a major. So as soon as I find a college and I pick a major, everything's going to be great, and then it, it's like, oh, gosh, I, I can't be in college forever. Like, my, my parents are not going to help me pay for this, so I've got to figure out what I'm going to do. So as soon as I graduate college, it's going to be awesome. And then you graduate, and you're like, oh, no, I need a job. Like, i got to find a job. So as soon as I find a job, it's going to be great. And, and it's like you keep pushing out the finish line. It's like as soon as I, as soon as I, as soon as I, and we never quite get what we were kind of hoping to get. It just keeps pushing out a little further, a little bit further. 
It's like this elusive finish line of life. And I believe that if we put anything less than Jesus, it's like that. It's like the thing that you, you, you hope will bring that sense of accomplishment or fulfillment. It's like it never delivers what it promises. It, it never does. And what Paul reveals here is a new love. It's a new love. Like wh- whatever you put in that first blank is the thing that you really want, the thing you long for. It's what you love. And if you're taking notes this morning, here's my, my first point, is that we long for what we love. We long for what we love. I, I want to read verses 21 and 23, 21 through 23 again to us this morning. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ. Paul reveals this this deep longing, like this spiritual longing. He says, for me to live is Jesus, and I just long to be with him. We long for what we love. I remember um, back when Casey and I were dating, we had this up and down dating relationship. Not her fault. I'm a complicated person, right? It's totally me. It's all on me, absolutely, 100%. It's me like, oh, is this the will of God? Oh, no. Like, I'm just freaking out all the time. And so uh, it was a summertime, and she was going to be going away, and I was like, oh, Lord, I don't know. Is this the right one? Blah, 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 blah. And so I said, okay, let's just take a break this summer. Did you you all ever do that when you're dating? Let's take a break for a little while. Like, we're just going to pray, and you take a little break and so I said let's take a break and of course she was not like happy with me at all so she leaves on mission to South Korea for like months and this thing in me starts growing like this longing I I begin to long for her to come back because love was was stirring me, like this love within me was growing for this girl. I, I longed for that which I loved. And that's how it is with our walk with Jesus. Paul longs for Christ. Have you ever longed for something? Have you ever felt that, like, I long for that. I long for that person. Paul longs for Christ. I, I, I quote Tozer all the time. He's one of my favorites. And he says this, to have found God and still to pursue him is the soul's paradox of love. And it's kind of what Paul's saying here. It's, it's like this spiritual longing. It's not like Paul didn't know Jesus. Paul knew Jesus. Paul was a spiritual giant. Like he loves the Lord. He's, he's praying. He's, he's, he's reading. He's studying. He's speaking. He's preaching. It's like this man loves Jesus, and he's found him, and yet he longs for him. And, and I believe that's how it is with, with spiritual longing. In fact, this morning, I just want to stir in you spiritual longing, like, like the depth of your being to long for Christ. 
years ago, um, my, my family, uh, we, we were on vacations before I was married, and um, they took us all to this really, really nice steakhouse, like really nice. And uh, we're ordering our food, and we're excited. You know, we, I love steak, and so it's just like a fine steak that I probably would never buy for myself. But Dad's buying, praise God, right? We're going to get the nicest steak on the menu. And the guy, the waiter, says to us, look, I'm just going to let you know that there's this dessert, and if you want it, you've got to order it now. We're like, we're, we're intrigued. Like, what? What is this? He's like, it's a, it's a Godiva molten chocolate cake, right? So I'm a chocolate person. My family, we're chocolate people. And so he has me at Godiva. I'm like, I'm totally in. Like, whatever that is, I've got to have that, right? He's like, it will take the entire meal to prepare this dessert. So you got to order it now. We're like, please. Like, so we're, we're ordering like a couple to split between us, right? Because, you know, that's how it is. You, you try to split your desserts, trying to be a good human being. And so you're going to share your dessert with other people. And so we, we order these two desserts. And sure enough, we're enjoying the steak and all this wonderful primo, right? And then this dessert comes out. And y'all, um, you know, it's like uh, I almost get emotional when I talk about this because it was so stinking good. It was like, it's not too sweet. It's not too rich. It's not too chalky. It's like this perfect blend of all those things into this like holy grail of chocolate. And, and here's the thing. It's like we were enjoying it so much that we ordered more and we sat there and waited for like another 25, 30 minutes just for another round of these desserts. But I think that's kind of like what it is when we begin to really meet with Jesus. Like when you, when you begin to, to open up your Bible or, or to pray or to come into a gathering like this and you sense the presence and the nearness of a living God who loves you. And it's like you, you, you get this thing and it's just like so good and you're like more, more. Like that was so wonderful, but I want more. That's, that's spiritual longing. It's, it's always crying out within us like more, Jesus, more, more. And this is what Paul reveals, this heart that's like more. I long to depart and be with Jesus, more of you, Father. And so Paul begins to, he's modeling this for these believers, and then he kind of begins to turn it on them, and he begins to talk about how they live and if you're taking notes, here's my second point, is that we, we live for what we long for. We live for what we long for. I mean, really, if, if we're honest, all living really springs from our longing. Like, wh whatever you put in that blank will change how you live. For me to live is whatever, right? Fill in that blank, and that will absolutely shape how you Live, And so in verse 27 through 28, Paul begins to talk about how they live. And he says this, just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. This, this message of Jesus, this, this message that's changed you. Live your life worthy of the gospel. Then, where, then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you, that you are, and get this standing firm in one spirit, one accord. 
contending together for the faith of the gospel and not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, and this is from God. And so Paul talks about this life that's lived that's worthy of the gospel, and he uses these three descriptors. The first one is this idea of unity. He says, standing firm in one spirit, in one accord. You know, unity is a miracle of God. Like this, this gospel always astounds me that people from very different backgrounds and very different uh, personalities and, and different ethnicities and, and different socioeconomic levels and, and all the different things that might divide us in the worldly realm, actually in Christ, none of that stuff matters. And it's like under this gospel of Jesus, all of us can come together as one body, and it actually works. It's amazing how the gospel unites us. Um, I, uh, I think of Jesus in John 17, and Jesus is praying, and this is the, the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17. It's beautiful, and he begins to pray for all those that would come after his disciples. He's praying for people like us. And he says this in John 17, 21, he says, May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. Get this, so that the world may believe you sent me. So this life that's filled with longing and, and love for God that, that shapes how we live, it's marked by unity. And that unity is a testimony it shows people outside of the church like, wow, that's weird. They're all like really different. And yet somehow they all come together and it all works. And I, I don't know how this works, but it's a beautiful thing. Our unity is a testimony. In fact, Satan would love to disunify our church because it's a testimony that Jesus has come and so I think it, it, it makes us want to kind of search our hearts and say, God, is there any way that I'm holding a grudge or that I've got this thing against somebody? Is there any disunity that's in me? Because the gospel, it, it teaches us this humility. We, we just sing about it, right? The Savior knelt to wash our feet. Now at his feet we Bow. We serve a God who humbled himself, Jesus, taking on the form of a servant. He's not this um, uh, authoritarian, uh, uh, tyrant kind of God. He comes and he humbles himself. And he says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And the gospel forms humility in us. The, the gospel reveals this God who forgives, a, a God who would take the full weight of all of our sins upon himself, who, who would be beaten, whipped, have a crown of thorns pushing his head to be mocked, and then to die on a cross so that he could say to you and I, I forgive you, like completely forgive you. 
And so how can we refuse to forgive? The gospel teaches us to to lay down the the myriad of um, competing agendas that we might have about church and what church should be like and what it, what it should look like and what it should sound like and what we should do together and all that kind of stuff. We can all have these competing agendas and it says, no, no, lay down that, that agenda and let's come under the big agenda, which is God is reconciling the world to himself. He's on a mission and let's join in to what he's doing. So the gospel forms unity in us. The second thing that Paul says is contending together for the faith of the gospel. So this life that's marked by loving Jesus and longing for Jesus is also marked by mission, contending together for the faith of the gospel. Um, I heard Francis Chan speaking uh, one time, and he talked about this idea that the book of Acts, he said, if you were to just, just look at the book of Acts and just scan it, you get this sense that the, the heartbeat of the early church was that we've got to get this message out. I mean, that's, you know, they got persecuted, they got spread all over, and it's like all of a sudden the gospel's spreading all over the known world because the, I think of like a dandelion that gets blown and all the seeds begin to scatter around. It's this idea of the gospel going forth through people like you and me who live on mission. And Paul modeled this, didn't he? He pours out his life that people might know Christ. He, he travels these two missionary journeys and he's preaching and teaching and planting churches and appointing elders and all the things that he did. And see, not all of us are called to be a Paul, are we? We're not all called to, to go on mission maybe uh, across the sea. We're, we're not all called to um, maybe stand in front of people and give a gospel presentation. But every single believer is called to be on mission. All of us. We're called to be on mission. Because if we begin to love Jesus, we begin to love what Jesus loves. And Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. So we're, we're marked by unity, we're marked by mission, and then this third phrase, he says, not being frightened in any way by your oppon- opponents. And the, the word that I, I just want to kind of put into your mind as we look at that phrase is the word contrast. Contrast. So if you've ever... Um, uh, tried to edit a photo on your phone, there's a thing called contrast and you do that and it makes all the, the, the black and white colors separate. So it's like all the blacks get really black and all the whites get really white, right? It's, it's high contrast. And what Paul's calling them to is this fearless contrast. Because in, in Philippi, they were notorious, notoriously patriotic. This was a town that prided itself on being a center of Caesar worship. They were very, very patriotic people. In fact, that's why Paul slips in this little nuance when he says, as citizens of heaven, that that word is is one word translated that talks about this um, citizenship. And he's reminding them, hey, you know, I know that you live in this patriotic place and you, know, you love being a Roman and blah, 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 blah. But look, look, you're citizens of heaven. And I just want to remind you not to be frightened by your opponents. Because these people 
and their culture believed that their prosperity and, and success came from Caesar. Their friends would have big parties or big things in the street, and it would be Caesar is Lord. And the Christians are like, uh, Caesar is a man. Jesus is Lord. So then it began to put them at odds with their culture. The things that their culture celebrates, the Christians are kind of like, I don't know if I can celebrate that because my faith is changing me. And these people lost their jobs. Their families lost their status. Their um, friendships would be lost because they're persecuted. There's a contrast between what they believe about this God and this King Jesus that set them at a contrast with their culture. And he says, don't be frightened. Right? Don't cave in. Don't back off. But be fearless. You see, this gospel living that springs from this gospel is unity. It's mission, and it's fearless contrast. And then lastly, in verse 29, Paul begins to talk about suffering. He says, for it has been granted to you. Now, that's a phrase that's like a phrase of blessing, right? It's been granted to you, right? It's, it's like here's a gift. It's been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for him. Since you were engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. Paul talks about suffering. I mean, just picture Paul riding in chains, modeling it. <laughs> Here I am, suffering. Guess what? You get to suffer too. Isn't this awesome? <laughs> like Chris Quinto said last week, this, um, uh, this eternal optimist, right? Isn't this great? We get to suffer for Jesus. But Paul also said, I don't think our present sufferings are worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Can you picture Jesus suffering for you. You see, the gospel reveals someone worth suffering for. And you'll suffer for some things every now and then, but you will suffer most for what you love most. And this life that's full of loving and longing for Jesus, that's marked by this living, it will include suffering, but it's a suffering born of love. I want to close with a story that I, uh, I came across this week uh, from a book called Rush of Heaven. There was a, a lady, her name was Emma McKinley. And uh, this would have been in kind of the mid to early 90s. She was working at a big box retail store and she needed to restock her section and she was missing like some Kleenex boxes for her section. And so she went to the storage room and is looking for the boxes that would have the Kleenex in them. 
Well, it's like they're not in the place that they should be, and so she has to kind of climb up this loft, and then she has to climb a little higher, and then she has to climb a little bit higher. And before she knows it, she's like 25 feet off the ground, and she can finally see the box at the top of this stack in this big storage room, and she's reaching for that box. And right as she reaches for it, this uh, heater turns on with this like scorching hot heat and just blasts her. And so this woman falls off of this uh, 25-foot-tall loft, and her leg catches between like a pallet and the shelving, and she dangles unconscious for two hours before anyone finds her. She wakes up in the hospital two days later, and her leg is completely mangled, and it creates this disorder called uh, RSD. It's like this um, dystrophy that's created. And so what happened over time is she began to get these terrible sores. It would be like her leg was on fire and, and her leg would um, eventually it would turn in like this to where it was, it was you know, frozen in place. Her, her left hand was frozen in place. Sores began to cover her, her fist as she couldn't open it anymore. And then her spine began to contort and she was confined to a wheelchair and she was sitting with a 90 degree turn in her back. And she lived like this for over 15 years. And she was a believer. This is the most amazing part of the story for me is that she never once got bitter. She never got angry. She just said, you know, I just trust. I trust God. God loves me. Jesus is with me, and I can just make it through whatever comes, and so I'm just trusting him. And so this woman who's in this wheelchair, her husband leaves her in the midst of all of this suffering, and on Christmas Eve in 2011, she's by herself, her um, caretaker had gone home early because it's a holiday and so it's like one o'clock in the afternoon and, and, and this, this, this woman wheels herself into the uh, office where her computer is and she's looking at Facebook and then she realized she needed something behind her across the room and so she begins to wheel back and when she does her wheel gets caught and she falls out of the wheelchair incapacitated she's got a frozen hand and a frozen leg, back is crooked, and she remembers that her neighbor is gone for the holidays. Like, there's no one near. Her family won't be there for another 17 or 18 hours, and in her, uh, she, she's not, she doesn't know what to do, and so in her distress, she begins just to call out, Jesus, 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 for eight and a half hours, out loud, she calls Jesus, Jesus. And she says in her book, she describes this moment where she said it, it sounded like wind, like rushing wind. So the atmosphere of my home began to change, and I, I felt like I wasn't alone. And she said in bright, blinding light, this figure appears in the corner. It's Jesus. She, uh, she said he walks about two or three feet away from her crumpled body on the floor. And she said as he walks up, this warmth begins to fill her foot. Her foot begins to pop and, and the, the foot straightens. 
her hand, which was covered in sores and frozen clothes, she said the warmth moves into my arm, and then all of a sudden my hand opens, and it looks like a new skin on my hand. And then my back, she said, it just begins to straighten. I could hear everything popping, like in her ear. She feels the popping as her back is becoming straightened, and she's healed. She said, Jesus kneels down, asks for her hand, and lets her stand, like for the first time in 15 years, she stands. The next day, her family comes, and she pushes the wheelchair by the front door so that when they open the door, they'll be like, oh my gosh, where is she, right? And then she, she hides in the hallway, it's like, hello, you know, she comes out and they're like, what is going on? She goes to her doctors at the, at the, the Mayo Clinic and they're freaking out, right? It's an amazing story, incredible story. Uh, but as she was telling this to a pastor, he was like listening and he was like, that's amazing, but why eight and a half hours? You laid there for eight and a half hours and called out, and he's kind of getting a little bit miffed at God. Like, like God, why would you let someone lay there like that for eight and a half hours? And so we asked her, why? Like, why do you think it was eight and a half hours? And she looks at him, she's kind of like surprised, like, I've never thought of that question before. But then she said this, once I saw his face, nothing else mattered. Once I saw his face, nothing else mattered. You know, Paul used to be Saul, the guy that wrote the book that we're studying right now, and he met Jesus in a very similar way. He was walking towards Damascus, and a bright white light comes out of heaven and says, why are you persecuting me? (laughs) And the rest is history. He meets Jesus. And I think Paul is saying what this woman said. Once I saw his face, nothing else mattered. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. Paul wrote this. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Have you seen Jesus? You see him in the gospel. You see him going to that cross for you, beaten for you, for your sins mocked for you, pinned to a cross for you, dying for you, raising to new life for you. Have you seen Jesus? Because once you have, you can't unsee him. And to see him is to love him. And to love him is to long for him. And to long for him is to live for him. And so this morning, how would you fill in that blank? What do you put in the blank? What are you living for? Let's pray together.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.